Hey folks, do you need a break from this horrifying world we're living in? And do you need that break to be sexy? I do, Allie, I really do. So I and all of you should head over to adamandeve.com, the number one online source for adult toys. For a limited time only, you'll get 50% off almost any item with our special offer code HORROR at checkout. When you select one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs, plus a free mystery gift. And to top it off, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. What a bargain! What a bargain. So go to adamandeve.com and use our special code HORROR at checkout. That's H-O-R-R-O-R at adamandeve.com. Do it right now before we start the show. Seriously, you won't feel sexy enough to do this after we horrify you. Trust us. Trust us. Just murder me! (laughs) Hello, everyone. Hi, folks. So glad to have you back. Episode 14? I think so. 14. I'm Allie Rayner. And I'm Sam Buntage. And this is I'm Horrified. And I am horrified. Always. So it makes a lot of sense that we're recording this. You should have caught on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super primo. I say this every single time. I'm so... No, but it's real this time. Oh, I'm disturbed by this this segment I'm about to do for you guys. Yeah, we were texting about it earlier today, and you kept being like, really, Sam, your segment's gonna want to be pretty light. Yeah. wow, I'm getting heavy here. Yeah, I, I needed to make sure that there was balance, so I might have given you some criticism, like, don't do anything sad even a little <laughs> bit, because there's enough sadness in my segment. So this week, I'll be covering the Donner Reed party. And I'll be talking about the North Korean cheerleading team. That sounds perfect. (laughs) Glad you chose that. As with anything in North Korea, it is sad still. Yeah, it's still sad. I I have a feeling there's going to be less cannibalism in my story than yours. You have, you may be right. (laughs) So the Donner Reed Party was a group of American pioneers who set out for California in a wagon train in May of 1846. Which I never would have done. Oh my god, no. No way. I would have just... If it was 1846, I would have just stayed in the same place I was born, mm-hmm. like, within a mile radius of that spot oh, for yeah. my whole life, for sure. Well, that's, like, I'm deep on Ancestry.com, and my mom's side of the family came to Massachusetts in the 1600s, and we just fucking stayed. Yeah. My mom grew up in New Hampshire. That's as far yeah. as they ever got. Didn't want to go further than... No. Nashua. So, they were delayed by a series of mishaps and mistakes which led them to infamously spending the winter of 1846 to 1847 snowbound in the Sierra Nevada. So that's why they're famous. You know, it doesn't sound so bad, right? You know, (laughs) like, they're just, you know, they got caught in the snow, snowstorm, not so bad. It's so bad. Mm. It's so, so bad. That's misleading because, like, snowbound in the Sierra Nevada, that could be the title of a romance novel I read. Yeah, it sounds almost nice. Yeah. It sucks. Oh, no. So let's break this down. Why did they go to California? Was it just to meet the cast of the OC? No. (laughs) It was because of a stupid American idea called Manifest Destiny. Oh, so dumb. Right? We all went, we all had ninth grade, right? So, Manifest Destiny was the idea that all of the Anglicans who landed in New England had a God-given responsibility to spread their nonsense throughout the American West. (laughs) So dumb. (laughs) It is, like, a mandate from God to go bother all of the fucking bison in Wyoming and continually displace Native Americans. Like, that was a big idea back then. Great. So, strike one for these fools, okay? Like, strike one. Um, I'm gonna say a lot of things that, this is like the execution of the Romanovs. It's like, I'm gonna say a lot of things that make you feel bad for them, but like, 
nobody told them to go to California. True, they could have stayed in New England. Yeah, so at this point in American history, there are settlings in communities in California already. The gold rush is, like, slightly after this, but Manifest Destiny, as a concept, led a bunch of people to California just to colonize, which is the American pastime. So this group, the Donner Reed Party, had some literature and some information about how you can take what was referred to as a wagon train to California from the Midwest. And a wagon train is just a long line of wagons going in the same direction. Nice. The Amtrak of the past. Oh. And it takes months. <laughs> and everyone dies. <laughs> so the Donner Reed Party was a bunch of families traveling together, primarily the Donners and the Reeds. Makes sense. Apt. And I'm not even going to go through their family trees because there are just so many kids. I swear to God, if they had like 20% less children, they probably would have survived this nightmare because like, kids slow you down. Yeah. And they just had a million children. I think both of them had, like, 12 or 13 children. Jesus! Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, such as history, lots of kids. So, in addition to the Donners and the Reeds, there were the Murphys, the Eddies, the Kessebergs, who were German immigrants, and there were several hired servants and drivers for the wagons, and then just, like, a handful of randos who heard about their journey and decided to come along as well. Interesting. Um, and join their raucous suffering. Oh, um, and one of those people was a 70-year-old man, and something very sad happens to him that I'll tell you about later. Oh, no. Don't get attached. I won't. Um, so George Donner and James Reed are, like, the patriarchs of their families, and they gather up this ragtag team of 87 people and 20 wagons and a bunch of animals and oxen to pull those wagons and decide to just go for California, right? Mm-hmm. That's the American dream. What could possibly go wrong? Everything. <laughs> and so they decide to take the route outlined by a man named Lansford W. Hastings. What a name. So this guy was a piece of shit, let me tell you. Um, he had started publishing and spreading around the news that he had found a shortcut to get to the West, which he referred to as the Hastings Cutoff. This cutoff was, in theory, going to help them save 400 miles, which is a big deal. Yeah. When you're traveling. It, it was, in theory, supposed to take about four months. And that was just, like, plan A, mm-hmm. right? But in practice, it led them over harsh terrain such as mountains and also a salt desert in Utah. And why did this happen? Because Lansford dipshit Hastings never actually traveled the Hastings cutoff. Lansford! He just, like, assumed it would save them time. Dude! <laughs> and he published things saying, you guys, you have to go over this mountain. It's gonna save you, like, so much time. Not cool. And everyone died. So not chill. I can't believe the Donner Party was brought down by fake news. I know! Oh my god, that's so true. <laughs> um, here's something so fun and a throwback to an earlier episode. Uh, Jesse Quinn Thornton, who traveled part of the way with the party, in his book From Oregon to California in 1848, he declared Hastings the Baron Munchausen of travelers <gasps> in these countries. Oh my god! Oh my god! So we all know what that means. <laughs> Shout out to Munchausen. Baron Munchausen, who was a famous liar. Yes. So Baron Hastings, Baron Hastings, Mr. Hastings, dude, was also a fucking liar. Ugh. How fun. We gotta bring that phrase into the popular culture yeah. now. She's a Munchausen. Yeah. You're like the Baron Munchausen of relationships, Steve. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> so they're on their way. They begin their journey of May of 1846, um, which is, they're in Springfield, Illinois. And very clearly, right off the bat, there is a split in leadership. Because everybody likes George Donner, because he's more easygoing and amiable. He's a born American 
man, and um, James Reed is a North Irish immigrant. But yeah, so he's not a favorite. There's a moment where everyone is like, should we even take this cutoff? And James Reed is like, yes, we should. I'm going to be so mad at you guys if we don't take this cutoff. <laughs> like, we have to take this cutoff. This is going to be the best cutoff. So when everything sucks, like, kind of blame him. Oof. Yeah. So there is a tale that someone had gone ahead and seen what rough terrain there was and tried to bring a letter to warn them mm -hmm. to not take the cutoff and that James Reed, like, received that message first and concealed it from the rest of the party. Damn, James! I don't know if that's true, but how dramatic is that? So I'm oh leaving it in. So they head down the Hastings cutoff in August after they travel from May, mm -hmm. like, from Illinois to Utah or wherever it is, and immediately get caught in the Wasatch Mountains... And they're all grumpy and concerned and quietly shit-talking James Reed because they're like, why are we in these fucking mountains, James? Maybe if we hadn't taken the cutoff, we wouldn't be in these mountains. But whatever, we're in the mountains, so now we have to cross them. So it basically takes them all month to cross these mountains. And by the time that they do, they see a salt desert in front of them. Oh, God. <laughs> so at this point, like, if it's me, I'm pissed the fuck off. Yeah. Like, I just cross a mountain and now all I see is a salt desert. Like, I'm just hopping off the wagon and building a new life in the mountains, yeah. right? Like, who needs California? I don't. So, before they cross the salt desert, someone dies of tuberculosis. Classic. That's just a fun fact. It's not even that big of a deal. They're like, oh, this is, like, not the half of it. Yeah. And they see a tattered note nailed to a tree, which was from one of the riders hired by Lansford Hastings to outline the trail. So, he would send people on horseback to, like, outline the trail. Because they could travel so much faster than families yeah. on wagons. So... The note said that they should be prepared for two days and nights with no grass or water through the salt desert. So they're like, fucking great. Thanks for the heads up. Yep. Um, they rest their animals and try to get prepped. But the continually unfun thing about this trip is that every day you waste is a day closer to winter and therefore a day closer to death. Yeah. Because what they do not want to do is be snowed in before they get to California. Yes. Yeah. Then they'll all die. I'm going to give you a slight spoiler. That's exactly what happens. Oh, bummer. <laughs> they don't all die, but... That's the idea. Yeah. They don't make it. They um, know that it's not going to be good, and, and surprise, yeah. it's not good. So, on August 30th, they pressed on over the salt desert <laughs> with no other choice but to move forward. The intense heat on those days turned the salty crust of the desert into a, quote, gummy mass. What? I know. What the fuck does that mean? I've never heard of that in my whole life. What in the living fuck does that even mean? Yeah, the wheels of their wagons, like, sank into it. Oh my god, rock uh -huh. me mama like a wagon wheel. Oh my god. Yeah, that's horrible. I'm horrified. <laughs> the days were extremely hot and the nights were freezing cold. Which, how? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> the desert, the desert does that. I Really? Okay, yeah. fine. Um, and on the third day, Mark, third day, they were only supposed to be there for two days. No. <laughs> they run out of water. Yep. And some of the oxen just like go crazy and run into the distance. They're just like, I'm out. Oh, Which, That'd be me. Yeah, same. Absolutely same. And many of the people started hallucinating and seeing, like, lakes and grass and stuff, but none of it was there. The trip across the salt desert, which was supposed to take two days, took six. <gasps> and oh. they ran out of water on day three? Yeah. Oh, that's not even anything. <gasps> Don't be shocked by that. They're gonna go through so much other shit. No! So they finally get out of this salt desert and are able to rejoin the traditional trail on the other side. And they're all like, when I get to California, I am going to find Lansford Hastings and punch him in the <laughs> face. <laughs> like, because his cutoff cost them an extra month of travel. <gasps> A month of travel. Oh my god. Um, all in all. So more drama ensued as an altercation occurred between this one guy and James Reed, 
Which ended in James Reed stabbing the guy to death. Jesus, James. This is just happening, you know? It's like, everyone Jim. gets across the salt desert and they're like, oh, good, we can relax for a minute. <laughs> and then James Reed stabs somebody. And it's like, come on. Come on, Jim. Come on. Be cool for one minute. Be cool for a second. So they have to kind of, like, talk about what to do. They're like, we don't have any laws. <laughs> Anything past, like, that point. I think at that point it was technically part of Mexico. Like, it wasn't even technically America. Oh, so damn. they were like, we don't have any laws here. And so they were thinking about hanging him. And then they decided, why waste the time <laughs> that we don't have? Let's just tell him to leave. So yeah. they banish him from the party and he goes ahead. And honestly, if you are by yourself, you get where you're going faster. Yeah. So he eventually does get to California wow. by himself. But he moves ahead without his family. So. Yeah, I was going to say, is his family still Bummer. in the oh, party? Yeah. Damn. Mm-hmm. So they keep moving and they're all getting super cranky at this point. Everyone is very distrustful of each other. They start walking instead of riding on the wagons to spare the ox and the weight. Oh, and this is where this old man is like walking. He's 70 and he's walking to California and his feet like split open <gasps> apparently. What? I know I don't even know what that means. I read I it and wa- I was like, what does that I mean? Don't, I, I, oh, I'm horrified. <laughs> but so he just like sits down and is like, I'm done. Like, I'm not going on. Can't and they're like, he okay. Ride the wagon? No. No. The oxen, Sam. But this nope. human man. So they leave. That's where everyone's at. Like, fuck grandpa. <laughs> We're just gonna keep it moving. Oh my god. Like it's several so yeah, no. At several points, they were looted by Native Americans, uh, so many of the families were without a wagon entirely and without any more stores of food or water. And no one's in a sharing mood. No. So, like, some families have more than others. Yeah. But no one's trying to share. Eventually, they reach Truckee Lake, which was this lush green lake area with lots of resources, which is great, right? However, it's the end of October at this point. Oh, no. So, it's getting cold, and... Once they start thinking, all right, so we'll cross over this lake to the other side of the mountains, which is where California is. That's, like, the Sierra Nevada Mountains. Yeah. Um, and on the other side is Sacramento. And it starts snowing like crazy. No! Fabulous. Fuck. <laughs> so they're like, okay. And they try, like, they try to get over the mountains, but they just can't. So they have to batten down the hatches for winter. Like, they don't have any other choice. So they make some log cabins with what they do have... But they all have leaky roofs made out of, like, ox hide. They don't have any stores of food saved up because they just got there. So this is, like, the world's shittiest winter sleepaway camp. Oh, it's no. just, like, the worst. They hunted and fished for what they could, but there wasn't much available, and they mainly started just eating the oxen that were naturally dying of starvation. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. It's like, and it's like the oxen went with them all that way, but they had names. Oh. They were friends. They were somebody's pet. They should not have named anything. True. On the Not on even the your way. children, frankly. Absolutely not. And so several groups of people tried to set out over the mountains to get help alone, thinking they could move faster, like snowshoeing it in small groups, but they were continually forced to turn back mm. because they couldn't make it. So a paraphrased excerpt from Patrick Breen's diary, life at Truckee Lake was miserable. The cabins were cramped and filthy, and it snowed so much that people were unable to go outdoors for days. Diets soon consisted of oxide strips, which were boiled to make a, quote, disagreeable glue-like jelly. Jesus. Ox and horse bones were boiled repeatedly to make soup, and they became so brittle that they would crumble upon chewing. Sometimes they were softened by being charred and eaten. Bit by bit, the Murphy children picked apart the oxide rug that lay in front of their fireplace, 
roasted it in the fire, and ate it. Oh my god! Yeah. What the fuck? You have to start eating your rug. <laughs> oh no. And some of them started eating their roofs. Oh my like, god. Like, the roofs were made of oxide. oxide and yeah. they would just be like, do we want to have a roof or do we want to eat? Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, a bummer. That's a bummer. That's horrifying. Oh, yeah. So, eventually, a group of 17 men and women, and at this point, like, the young single people, a lot of them are dead. So, a lot of these are parents who just, like, leave their kids with other parents. Mm -hmm. 17 men and women are like, we have got to snowshoe our way to get help. Like, that's the end of it. We have to snowshoe over this mountain Mm -hmm. or we're all gonna die. Is it still October at this point? I think it's just November or December at this point. Jesus. Historians refer to this party as the Forlorn Hope. Oh. That's what this group is called. Um, which is also a great uh, drag name. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage of Forlorn Hope. Um, but it's so, spelled like Lorne Michaels. Yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> At this point, a few people had already died from starvation, so it was like, snowshoe or bust. Like, yeah. we gotta go do something. We can die of starvation or of the cold. Let's yeah, go. let's pick one. So, they start chewing it. And immediately it just sucks so bad, yeah. <laughs> obviously. They all go um, snow blind, which I just didn't even look up because I was like, I'm sure it's as bad as it sounds. <laughs> so after a few days, this is this is where our story really kicks into 12th no, gear. No, <laughs> it isn't in 12th gear yet? After a few days without food, all their food is gone, Patrick Dolan suggests, lightly... <laughs> maybe one person should sacrifice themselves Mm -hmm. to feed the other travelers. He's just gonna float that and see what happens. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Mm, I see your point. (laughs) Because everyone else is like, oh my god, are you kidding me? We might have to do that. (laughs) Um, And they literally, like, chat about it. Like, somebody suggests a duel to choose, (laughs) and then somebody else suggests, like, a lottery to choose. Oh god. What would you... Would you rather be in a Duel party or... of people and one of you will be randomly selected or, like, you are dueling? I would take a stick off the ground and stab <laughs> myself with it. I would be so... Oh, my God. Like, before the salt desert, I would just lay on the ground and die. <laughs> You'd like, be like that old man. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, when the old man sat down, I would literally, as an able-bodied 24-year-old, just sit next to him and be like, no, I'm gonna stay. I think I'm done. <laughs> I think I'm good. God. I feel fine. Um... So, I think eventually they're like, we're not doing any of those. Somebody's gonna die so soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some really smart person is like, you know what? One of us is gonna kick it in, like, five minutes. It's a mood point. Let's just wait for that. So, then, uh, naturally people do die. Including the guy who brought it up, Patrick Dolan. He strips off all his clothes and goes, like, running into the snow. That's a, insane. That's a symptom of hypothermia is yes. you feel very hot. Mm-hmm. So, they eat him first. Well, Karma. Yeah. What are you gonna do? What goes around comes around. Yeah, exactly. And so they quickly eat, like, three dead people, and everyone's just like, whatever. (laughs) You know? They just start... That's real. They start, and then they can't stop. Yep. Um, so then they start talking about killing the two Native American travelers who are with them, which sucks, because they're just like, oh, well, obviously we should eat them first. Mm -hmm. And so the Native American travelers hear them talking about it. Obviously, of course they did. We gotta go, you guys. (laughs) We're so sorry. Oh my, we were supposed to be in Illinois, like, five minutes ago. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, so they, and like, I, these poor people, um, because later on the group catches up to them, um, literally just on the trail, (gasps) and they're, like, starving and so they do end up killing and eating them. Oh my god. The they're Native like Americans? Near, yeah, they're like near dead, so they just like shoot them. Oh my god. Um 
Which, like, these are the only two people I feel bad for. The rest <laughs> of them, like, nobody asked them to go to California, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think they, like, you know, like, met the Native American travelers and were like, oh, come with us and help us out and we'll, like, pay you money when yeah. we get to California. It's like, this is not their fault. Um, and the rest of them, it's a little bit their fault. Not the kids, I guess, but, like, yeah. whatever. So the Forlorn Hope eventually reaches Sacramento after a fucking month. <laughs> Jesus Christ. James Reed also made it to California, like I said before, so good for him. Um, and he made it a couple he's, attempts. He's feeling pretty fucking smug right now. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. A little. I mean, his his wife and all of his children are still in um, the barren wilderness, but yeah, he's probably like, I am in California. <laughs> so he made a couple attempts at rescuing them that just didn't work. He didn't yeah. have enough people with him. So the Forlorn Hope group manages to drum up a serious relief team and they're able to get back to the Truckee Lake camps to find the people left there. So on February 18th, the first relief reaches the Truckee camps and finds the remaining survivors as 13 people had died in the interim. Oh, of course um, they did. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> Mrs. Murphy famously came out of the cabin and said, are you men from California or heaven? Aww. So I don't know if that ever happened, but that's like a famous line from the literature. Mrs. Murphy... Um, 23 of them went back with the first rescue party, and 21 remained and waited for the second rescue party. In the first party, one of the younger people died upon reaching a safe camp because of overeating. Oh, wow. Because when you're, you're reaching starvation, you can't actually eat too much yeah. the first time you eat, because you can die from it. So, Virginia Reed, one of, uh, James Reed's daughters, wrote in later memoirs that one of the rescuers had asked her to marry him, like, right when he rescued her. Even though she was, quote, 12 and recovering from starvation. <laughs> Hot. And I can't get a man. Just kidding. Um, yeah, I found that amusing. <laughs> oh, my God. Did she say yes? No, she was didn't Was she, say like, yes. for food? Anything. She didn't say yes. Good. Good for you, Virginia. Um, though, at that point, I'd be like, yeah, do you have a burger? Like, <laughs> I will absolutely marry you. Yeah. So then on March 1st, the second relief went back up to Truckee Lake, and shit had gotten real. <laughs> oh, no. The Murphy cabin was okay. Um, but they went over to the Alderwood camp, which was, like, somewhere else, and they literally saw someone walking around in the distance holding a human leg. Cool. Yeah. They realized it was the body of Jacob Donner, and they went inside to find that his family had been eating him after his death in order to survive. Oh, Bummer. So it became clear that they had already consumed, like, three people. Yeah. And so they were like, okay... <laughs> It's cool. Like, we're here now. You don't have to do that anymore. We'll go to Sacramento. Um, We'll figure it out there. We won't talk about it. You know what I mean? Your secret's safe with me. Um, So that's happening. (laughs) Can you imagine just showing up? I mean, like, can you imagine being those people? But, like, more like, can you imagine showing up (laughs) and, like, somebody's, like, lifting up, like, a human (laughs) leg to their mouth and they're like, oh, (laughs) hey. I thought you guys were coming on Tuesday. I'm so... <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Oh my god, I'm embarrassed. Um, yeah. Have you met Jacob? This is his leg. Yeah, exactly. So, they tried to bring 17 people back with them on that second relief, but they eventually had to, like, leave a lot of them halfway because the snow got so bad. Um, so then, several days after that, they went back for both the group, like, in the middle and the people remaining mm-hmm. at the old camps. So it was, like, between three and four relief parties that it took to get everyone Jesus. who survived back to California. And of those, like, a shit ton died. Mm-hmm. 
So at that point, anyone who was going to make it to California had made it. Mm -hmm. Of the 87 people in the original party, 48 survived. (gasps) Yeah. Oh my god. Only two families remained intact. Like, nobody died. Um, The Breens and the Reeds. And the Reeds were the only ones who didn't eat any human flesh. Damn, Reeds! Is what they said. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. So, like, in theory, double win for them. But some historians are like, oh, there was a nine-day period where you guys didn't have any food. And are you sure you didn't eat anyone? Like, okay, you didn't eat anyone. Like, you definitely did. God, that's so horrible. Um, Virginia Reed wrote to her cousin, Thank God we have all got through and the only family that did not eat human flesh. We have left everything, but I do not care for that. We have got through with our lives. Don't let this letter dishearten anybody. What? <laughs> <laughs> Never take no cutoffs and hurry along as fast as you can. Are you fucking shitting me? She's no. like, oh, don't let this stop you. No. You gotta eat a couple people. Stay in Ireland. You know, oh my god, are you I don't, kidding? If you can only eat potatoes, that's fun. Well, that's the thing about the Reed family is, like, they came over from Ireland and then they did this. Like, Jesus. you can only imagine how shitty the, you know, cross-Atlantic boat was for them. And then they have to do this shit. But yeah. So they all kind of drag themselves into California. And at at that point, he'd be like, great, California. I don't want to be alive anymore. (laughs) Like this, uh, the whole world. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the widowed women who made it there all remarried like really fast because brides were scarce in California. So imagine that, like getting there, you just had to eat your husband. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, somebody's like, hey, babe, like, do you want, do you want to marry me? And you have to be like, yeah. Because, yeah. like, your whole world but is But then part of you is like, you look delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, like, the stories of their adventure, trouble, That's horror. not an adventure. Yeah. The, the stories of their ordeal spread far and wide. Some exaggerated, some understated. But... They went on to be interviewed by journalists, and many of them wrote memoirs, and I assume none of them ever got in a wagon to go anywhere again. Nope, they stayed in Sacramento. One last fun fact for you is that James Reed was a close personal friend of Abraham Lincoln. Oh my god. And, because he was working as a lawyer in Springfield, Illinois at the time, he considered going with them. Holy shit. Yeah. So, like, if he had... Imagine if we had a president that ate human flesh. Oh my god. That is kind of punk rock. It's like Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter, like Abraham Lincoln cannibal. So does that fun fact help (laughs) you deal? That fact isn't that fun. Does it help you digest that story? Don't. Ew! Don't you (laughs) freaking dare. Oh my god. That's so horrifying. Holy shit. And I'm I'm shook up from that, and like, I know I've been uh, having a lighthearted touch at this story, only even because it had happened in the 1800s. Yeah. Even if it happened in, like, the 1900s, I don't think I could laugh about it. But, oh like, God. I'm still objectively a terrible person for making any kind of fun about this. But, Ugh. I mean, what I else mean, is new? they're not going to be offended. I mean, they're all dead. Whether by the hand of God or by the hand of their mom. Yeah. You know? God. What are you going to do? I imagine, don't think anyone ate their own kids. Imagine being a kid and, like, being like, what's your first memory? Like, oh, well, we were on the lake. And we had to eat Granddad. Yeah. That's, like, my my first big memory. I was in Nevada, and I ate my friend. Yeah. Yeah. I had a pet ox, and I also had a sister. I ate them both. Mummer. God. I wonder if there was, like, family, like, a family share plan. Like, if your father died and, like, your neighbor's father died, if you switched because, like, you didn't want oh, to eat Oh, literally, dad. yeah. The, the, forlorn, the Forlorn Hope Party, they, like, 
when the people died, they, like, split them up and made sure to keep track of who was who so nobody had to eat their relatives. Oh. But people did eat their relatives, so. Oh, God. But then it's like, who asked you to go to California? I know. I mean, I know that, but still. But if that happened now, like, you know, you're flying to California, you just get stuck up there. and <laughs> Up on the plane. Yeah. So, yeah, that's some pioneer cannibalism for you. Good. Sound fun? Do you guys want to use our Adam and Eve coupon yet? God. <laughs> God damn. Hot. So that's, So yeah. I'm bummed out. Cool. Yeah. Bummer. You know, just the other day I was saying to you, like, man, I've never been to California. Now I'll never fucking go. I don't think you need to. No interest. Yeah. No interest. Sorry, every friend I have in California. I mean, I'd prefer all the cannibalism to that traffic in Los Angeles, am I right? No. You're disgusting. <laughs> yeah, no. I hate myself. Oh, Al. Oh, Sam. What are you going to talk about? I forget. I'm in, I'm in a delirium. <laughs> That's fair. I don't even know where I am. I don't even know where I am. You but... look delicious. I want to eat you right now. No. No. I do look cute. I'm wearing a crop top right now that I think really works. That's not what I meant. I'm going to want to eat your flesh. <laughs> cool. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about something that is not as horrifying as cannibalism, but is more of a bummer on like a human rights level. I'll take it, honestly. Yeah. Today I'm going to talk about the North Korean cheerleading squad. Uh, squad goals. Just kidding. You do not want to be on the North Korean cheerleading squad. Uh, so they came to prominence during the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics in February of this year for their outfits and their synchronized cheers and what I'm calling their mystique. Because, like, yeah, this was, like, you don't see North Koreans very often because it is such an insular country. Mm-hmm. that everyone was just freaking out that, like, there were even any North Koreans, let alone they were wearing this crazy outfit. So I'm just going to show you a few images. I've never seen them. Yeah, so they were wearing... It, so it was 266 women That's came over from North Korea to be cheerleaders. And as you can see, they were always wearing a perfectly matching, like, uniforms of, like, tracksuits or hats or, like, all the same. Yeah, they look warm. And they would do these, like, synchronized cheers at any event that the unified Korea team was competing in. Interesting. And they became kind of, like, a a viral thing. Like, Western media was calling them the Army of Beauties. But that is very much, like, the Western media's phrase for it. Yeah, I don't love that. Um, And in both, like, North Korea and South Korea, they're just known as cheerleaders, or, like, the North Korean cheerleading team. Got it. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about them, because you might just think they're weird, but it turns out they're a bummer. Oh, no. So. I can't deal with any more bummers right now. Well, too bad. <laughs> it was this or toxic shock syndrome, Ellie. We'll do that next week. Yeah, I know. I know we will. So, here's the thing about the North Korean cheerleading squad. Is that they are a cheerleading squad from a country where everything you do is mandated by your great leader, King Jong-un. So, they are not cheerleaders who like like cheerleading. They're not like the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. They are college students who have been rounded up by the government and sent overseas to look pretty. Uh. Which is less fun. <laughs> so, they're literally just, like, people who, in theory, come from a good family, have loyalty to the party, and are of a certain height, which is about 5'3". Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm 5'3". You're a perfect North Korean cheerleader. Sign me up. And they are um, sent kind of to be, like, the public face of North Korea, specifically for this event, but, like... I'll talk about this in a minute, but, like, North Korea has a history of, like, just using beautiful women to, like, seduce the Western world into thinking North Korea is normal. Ugh. When it's not. 
And so it's kind of like a beauty contest, except it's a beauty contest that you are forced to take part of, and you don't have the option because you live in North Korea, where everything is dictated. And these women, like, came to Pyeongchang for the Olympics, and now, like, I say now, this was a few months ago, they then, like, went back to North Korea to, like, live their normal life, and will never mention it to anyone that they were one of the people who went over, because it's, like, a weird secret order by the regime. Whoa, seriously? Yeah. Oh my god. So it's not like you could then get to put on your resume, like, oh, I was one of the cheerleaders. Like, you just never speak about it. Jeez. And you just say, like, I was on a government project, and you never bring it up again. But you put, like, a little picture of a pom-pom next to it, so they know. So it's like, oh, ink. Just kidding, there's no social media in North Korea. Oh, that's true. So, like I was saying, there's actually a very weird history and culture of these cheerleaders and beautiful women as the public face of North Korea. If you go to restaurants in North Korea, there are young women who just, like, sing and pour drinks, and they're there so that, like, Western patrons will pay more. And apparently, like, if you go to China and Cambodia and Malaysia, there are a lot of, like, North Korean women around singing and... Seriously? Yeah. Because, like, that's the face that Kim Jong-un wants to present to the rest of the world, is that, like, they're not, like, a weird prison culture. They're a culture of, like, beautiful, happy young women. Ugh. Which is not the truth. No. And sucks for those poor women. Yeah. But it's been, like, they've been using these cheerleaders as propaganda since, like, his grandfather. Oh, my God. The Another just interesting thing is that Kim Jong-un also uses his sister in this way. So his sister's name is Kim Yo-jong. And she was, like, very much the public face of North Korea for the Olympics as well. Like, he didn't really attend, but she was, like, meeting with dignitaries. And people were obsessed with, like, the way she was styling her hair, how sparkly her top was, her smile. Like, she brought a handwritten letter from Kim Jong-un to, like, the leader of South Korea. And she was, like, this crazy PR machine for that regime that, like, no one knows anything about. And, um, like, the news networks were covering her freckles as opposed to the fact that she was blacklisted by the U.S. for human rights abuses. Oh, God. Because yeah, that's, that's fucking crazy. It's like, why are we talking about that? Yeah. So the whole cheerleading team is that on, like, a macro level. Right. Of, like, he usually just uses his sister as, like, look, a, a pretty young woman. North Korea is normal. But for the Olympics, he, like, brought out the big guns. And he was like, here's 266 beautiful 5'3 women. Let's fucking go. So that's just crazy, but she was, like, a huge hit, and especially South Koreans were really interested to see her, because, like, South Korea and North Korea have been separate since, like, the 1940s. They haven't been unified, really, since then. And a lot of South Koreans, like, have never seen a North Korean. Like... Yeah, I don't even think about that. Yeah. So, like, South Korea, where the games were held, was, like, mesmerized by these North Korean people they were seeing. Like, holy shit. I've, like... Anyone who was under 60 had probably never seen straight up a North Korean person before, let alone the rest of the world, the Western world, who, like, doesn't even get it. Right. (laughs) They were also, like, so enchanted by all these people. But the really fucked up bit is the thing that defectors of North Korea have told us since they have defected, which is, of course, that, like, when you're on a North Korean cheerleading squad, you are, like, pretty much brainwashed you're going to like i guess it's like programming like you basically go in and they're like you could never leave this country this country is everything to you if you left this country like all this crazy shit would happen because like these are the only people who are really allowed to go outside north korea Mm -hmm. so they have to drum into these women that like there is nothing for them in the outside world or else i know isn't it so sad it's horrible 
And this woman, Han So Yi, was a former member of the North Korean cheerleading squad, like, back in the 70s. Oh. And so she's since defected, like, And she's since out. defected, yeah. She defected because her brother defected, and when your family member defects, there's a very high chance that you will end up in prison. So it's kind of like once a relative of yours goes, you have to go. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I know that if you, like, if your family member goes to prison, they'll often just throw you in prison as well. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, yeah. So, like, that's kind of the reason that she defected. But she said, like, they were taught that they were fighters on the front line, and, like, that's how they were supposed to yeah. see themselves as, like, these beautiful faces, but were really, like, showing the world that they were better than everyone else. And she said, quote, I was quite proud and confident, and I thought that was what we were going to do. But really, they're just, like, a pretty face and an ass. And yeah. Like, <laughs> they're being used. Yeah. As propaganda. Exactly. And, and she they're, said, they're being objectified. Exactly. Exactly. And they have no, and like I said earlier, like, these are just ran- women who are randomly selected. It's not like you put your name into the drawing to become a North Korean cheerleader. Right. They're chosen. They just get chosen. And something that she said was, um, some of my fellow performers said they didn't want to forget their homeland, so they would grab a handful of earth and put it in their suitcase. So, like, that's how drummed into these women it was, that, like, you can't leave. And there's since been a defector more recently. His name is Lee So-hyun. And he said that people who are um, North Korean cheerleaders or, you know, performers, they are, of course, used as sex slaves by top politicians. Oh, that's horrible. So the top politicians have these big parties. They invite these beautiful women. And then, of course, like, they do whatever they want to them. Yeah. Because, A... Women aren't people anywhere, but B, this is a totalitarian regime. They have even less, far less freedom and agency over their own bodies than exactly than other women and femmes. Yeah, but he said he said in two thousand eight that dancers and singers were forced to strip and provide sexual services at parties held every day. Oh, that's horrible. This is not much funner than a Donner Party, I'm sorry. I know, this this is horrible. I know, I know. Why do we do this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So. Just to get back to the horror, every person in North Korea is serving the regime of Kim Jong-un. Every single human being. So, like, the top athletes, the most beautiful women, the pop stars, like, everyone is a slave to Kim Jong-un in North Korea. So, like, a lot of these people want to defect because (laughs) they have the opportunity to go to these other countries, so the intimidation tactics have to be, like, so strong. Uh, And you might be wondering... Why did he feel the need, Kim Jong-un, to do this crazy big North Korean beautiful women thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that is often referred to as the charm offensive, which I find fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun word for something terrible. Yeah. But basically, it's because in this most recent Olympics, North Korea and South Korea were competing as one unified unit under right. like the flag of a unified Korea. So he, it was really important to him to, like, make a showing of how wonderful and good North Korea is in the hopes that, like, if peace talks can really happen between these two countries, it will be the North Korean ideology that kind of takes over the South as opposed to the other way around. So the the example is, like, the South Korean cheerleading group were, like, the cheerleaders that you and I would, would think of, and they had, like cute little miniskirts and knee-high boots, and they danced to Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. Oh my god. That's a cheerleader, right? Yeah, that is a cheerleader. They got it. But, like, during that, the rows of North Korean cheerleaders seemed like they were oblivious to anything that was going on around them. Like, no reaction. Like, someone proposed to someone else there, and all of the North Korean cheerleader women were just, like, straight-faced. Like, no. Oh, boy. And then it would be, like, their time to do their, like, performances. But their performances are, like, so 
weirdly choreographed and perfectly in sync and like the chants are so odd and all of their as opposed to like a fun sexy dance like south korea north korea's chants were all about uniting the motherland and saying we are one. Oh boy to which the south koreans were like oh cool like i thought we were just gonna <laughs> i thought we were just gonna do like the pom-pom thing hang out one woman from south korea um han Woo, who is 25 so pretty young has probably never interacted with north korea said, quote, they're very old-fashioned. I never experienced the 70s, but I imagine it was like that. Oh my god. <laughs> like, she was so taken aback, and then she said, I feel bad for them. If this is what they want to show the world, think about how backward the rest of the people are. That's an interesting sort of meeting of the two cultures yeah. of being like, this is what's on the other side Exactly. Of, you know, this obviously divided yeah. country. And so, they're two countries. Yeah. yeah, they're two countries. But, like, in theory, they were once one. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, if you watch the clips, like, the clips became kind of viral because it was so weird and quirky. But, like, at the end of each row, so it's, like, it's like five rows in the stands of these beautiful, identically dressed women. But at the end of each row are older male minders who sit still for the entire game with them. Which is, like, this weird, spooky reminder that oh, these women... Horrible. Yeah, it's they're horrifying. prisoners of one of the most brutal regimes in the world. So yeah, exactly. Deeply horrifying. And it's also, like, this weird old idea. Like, Kim Jong-un wants for the Koreas to become one again. But when they polled South Koreans, 60% now are not interested in unification. They're interested in a peaceful coexistence. Yeah. So, like, get rid of the demilitarized zone, but, like, still be two countries. The, the spookiest one, which I'll show you, was they did one cheer, the North Korean cheerleading team, and they were holding the Korean unification flag on front of their chest. And it's an old Korean folk song that is popular, like, in both Koreas called Spring Season of My Hometown. And, like, it's very clear by them performing that, that, like, they want to become one country again. Right. And South Koreans are like, we're good. We don't want that. We are good. Thank you, but we're good. So, like, for me, the most horrifying thing about the North Korean cheerleading team is the fact that they were, like, a viral moment. But for these women, like, their whole lives are such, like, a horrible, tightly controlled thing that it, like, it makes me sad that, like, so many people were just, like, tweeting, oh my god, LOL so crazy, like, the North Korean team and their matching jackets. But, like, in reality, like, these women were, like, picked out of college and thrown into this weird situation and were so tightly monitored so they wouldn't defect and knew they couldn't defect because, A, they had been, like, basically brainwashed, and B, their whole family is in North Korea. Like, it's just so deeply sad to me. Yeah. Or even just, like, the idea of it. Like, oh, ha, 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 North Korean cheerleaders. It's just so crazy because I think that we think of North Korea as a punchline so much these yeah. days. Um, like, the people who aren't actively concerned about it are just like, oh, that's just, it's just craziness. Yeah. And don't actually break down the human element of the fact that there is widespread abuse going on there exactly. and that you know not only just women but everyone is yeah, being every systematically abused by their country yeah which and is a, horrible and originally for this segment i was going to talk about north korean funeral wailing which is a whole different thing which has also been memefied which has also been memefied so funeral wailing is when one of the members of this leading family dies they have this huge state funeral and it's ginormous and the people of North Korea are, like, throwing themselves on the ground, screaming out loud, tears are streaming down their face. Like, yeah. so performative in their grief that, like, when 
like, in 2011 was the last big funeral, it became, like, this huge, like, oh my god, what the fuck? Yeah, it was, like, an internet sensation. Because it was also, like, what the fuck? Like, what is this? Exactly. And then you think about it, and you think about the fact that if you don't outwardly show devastation towards the death of this leader, you, you and your family could be in danger. And then it's so disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, the women look so peaceful and happy and beautiful, and it's like, are those things real? But it's like, it doesn't matter when you're in a regime that is that controlling. Like, like your personal feelings aren't real in that scenario. Right. Because, like, you know in your heart, like, if I don't cry right now, I, like, it's over for me. Or if I don't look beautiful and peaceful right now, it's over for me. So, like, it's not necessarily that you're faking, Right. It's that, like, that's truly what you know you have to do in that moment. Yeah, it's, like, the two sides of the coin of the emotions you have to show for your country. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to actually show how you feel for your country. We, as Westerners, can't see it because we're not allowed to see it. Yeah. Because they're in danger if they show it. If they, yeah. they're, they're everyone involved in this, involved in any kind of public broadcast mm-hmm. of this country, would be in danger of being killed if they actually showed their true emotions about how they felt about living in that country. Yeah. So. So it's horrifying. Yes, it is. And I hope more of these poor women can defect and share their stories because, like, that is the only way that we're going to, like, learn more. I don't know how to solve the North Korean problem. I'm not trying to say I do. It's an interesting look at an internet moment and what it says about how we react to other people's pain and suffering. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, the next time you're looking at a North Korean meme, just remember that all those people are miserable and probably are in a yeah. prison camp now. And should, you should probably try to move that narrative mm. around if you can. Yeah. And we know all of you will, because all of you are incredible. That's so true. Um, and I, I think we'll just leave you with that, is that all of you are incredible, and, um... Don't eat your friends. Don't eat your friends. Under any circumstances. That's all I ask. Unless you're trapped in the Sierra Nevada mountains. I won't be mad at you if you eat a friend. <laughs> in the live. Sierra Nevada. Would you eat me to live? I, I would need a living you to tell me it was chill. Seriously? Yes. Would you kill me to live or you just if I died? No, like, it, I would do, like, the full forlorn hope thing of, like, one right. of us is gonna die. Okay. Are we all agreeing right now that, like, go ahead and eat me? But as I'm dying, I'm like, Sam, go for it. Yeah. And then I I would be sad and horrified, but I would. Would you eat me? Yeah. Yeah. I'd eat you while you were still alive. Okay, that's hurtful, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> I would want you to live, but I'd be mad if you didn't at least, like, just hit me in the head with a rock first. I'm trying to make it to California, Sam. Just murder me. <laughs> no. Ow! <laughs> just murder me! I won't. So I could never do that to you. But you can eat me while I'm alive? All right, everybody, stay horrified out there. Stay horrified.